Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, I Will Tell. So turning your Bibles to Acts 8, verses 26 to 38, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, I Will Tell as a Way of Life. I don't like pushiness in people. I bet you don't either. You know, several years ago, while I was buying a car, I began to think about the kind of a salesperson I'd like to buy a car from. You know, for instance, if a salesperson asked me, what would it take for me to buy this car today? Well, I determined to walk off the lot immediately. I wasn't going to argue. I just don't like being pushed around. I was determined that I would be in control of my car buying experience, not the salesperson. Before I was done, that commitment got severely tested. I mean, one salesman asked me which color I preferred, and when I told him, he called me the next day to tell me he'd gotten the car I liked from another dealer. When would I like to come in and take possession of it? Well, needless to say, I never showed up on the lot again. And by the way, it was very hard to get that salesperson to quit calling me. It was embarrassing. He called me almost every day. It it tested my sanctification. The man I ended up buying a car from was the man who said to me, you know, buying a car is a big decision. Now that I've showed you this car, you know, perhaps you'd like to take a day or two to just think about it. Here's my card. If something you've seen interests you, I'd like to be the man to help you. Well, that caught my attention. and I thought I could trust that man. And yep, he did sell me a car. I was glad to give him the deal. In fact, I would have gone across town to buy a car from a man like that. You know, some of us see evangelism like sales. And depending on your personality, you don't like pushiness in others, and you don't want to be pushy to others either. And you don't feel like being in someone's face and trying to make the sale and close the deal for the gospel. Oh, I know there are some who simply relish that idea, but here's what I've found. Some of the very best personal evangelists I know are the least pushy people I know. And furthermore, they're authentic. They actually care about and love people. I hope that sounds hopeful. You know, today I I want to provide a little lesson on how any one of us might become an effective evangelist. And there are a number of examples of personal evangelism found in the New Testament. Let me list a few. Jesus with the woman at the well in John 4 is one example. Do you remember that amazing statement? If only you knew who was talking to you, you would ask me, and I would have given you living water. That's great, but neither you nor I are Jesus, so that bottom line doesn't work for us. And that's the issue for many of us. We scour around looking for a way to start a conversation on the gospel and wonder how to get it going. You know, Acts 8 records the interaction between Philip a man who was later identified as an evangelist in Acts 21, and an Ethiopian eunuch, an official from the royal court in Ethiopia. He must have been a God-fearer, a Gentile who loved the God of Israel, but who was not a convert. He had been to Jerusalem to worship and was on his way home. And the Holy Spirit prompted Philip to run up to this man's chariot, and Acts 8, 30-31 describes what happened next. It says, so Philip ran to him and hearing him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I want you to notice three things about that encounter. 
First, notice the Holy Spirit's role in preparing for that encounter. This was not a cold call, so to speak. The Holy Spirit led Philip to this encounter, and furthermore, the Ethiopian himself had considerable exposure to the God of Israel, and he was interested. At that very point, Philip encountered him. He was reading Isaiah 53. Man, I wish that stuff happened to me. How about you? You know, I never meet anyone, let's say on a bus or a public transportation system, and they're reading Isaiah 53, but I wish that did happen. But this is what did happen here. Second, Philip simply asked the man if he understood what he was reading, and then he allowed the man to respond. He wasn't pushy. He asked questions. Good evangelists ask a lot of questions. Third, the Ethiopian invited Philip to explain more. Come into my chariot and help me understand what this is about. And Philip simply follows the man's request. And what strikes me here is that the conversation, while it seems natural, it doesn't seem forced at all. Doesn't that sound different than the typical cold call that we think about when we talk about evangelism? Some of us think that evangelism is getting people to talk about something they really don't want to talk about. But in both the case of the woman at the well and the Ethiopian official, it's the other way around. You know, those people really wanted to talk about this thing, and God in grace provided an evangelist. Another example of personal evangelism is recorded in Acts chapter 10, when Peter presents the gospel to a Roman centurion named Cornelius. Again, notice that Cornelius has already been praying to God, and the Holy Spirit has already been involved. Notice Acts 13 verse 7 in the ministry of the apostle Paul, while he's on the island of Cyprus. You know, there it talks about the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Or consider the conversion of Lydia. It's recorded in Acts 16. She and a group of women met every Sabbath day by the riverside to pray, and Paul, hearing of this group of women, went there to share the gospel with them. See, I'm not trying to give the impression that we should not share the gospel until a person is sufficiently interested, but rather, we should begin to get in touch with those people whom the Holy Spirit has already been touching. If we had but the eyes to see it, there are a host of people around us who are interested in hearing. I know of some people who spend all their time arguing with people who simply want to argue. And then they pass by those people whom God has already opened their hearts. Perhaps there's a lesson in that for all of us. So in the time remaining, let me suggest seven things every believer can do to become an effective evangelist. Number one, pray for the lost. You know, if you've been a Christian for some time, you have most likely been to countless prayer meetings. I know I have. But the more of these meetings I've been to, the more alarmed I've become. Typically, prayer meetings among many Christians surround praying through a list. I mean, that usually includes people whose marriages are failing, who have health concerns, who need jobs or have financial problems, for people whose kids are going off the rail. Well, you know the list. You know, I call the top four things we pray about health, money, kids, and marriages. And I'll bet 90% of the time we're praying for stuff like that. And I've been concerned for some time that we take a little time reading helpful scripture to each other and spend times in adoration and worship to God who does all things well. We spend time confessing personal sins and asking God to revive us 
and we don't seem to pray for the lost a whole awful lot. If the majority of this country is standing on the brink of a cataclysm, why is it that prayer for the lost never dominates our prayers? How concerned we are for personal matters and how little concern we have for the lost. See, here's what I think we should start consciously praying for. One, we should pray for a heart of compassion for the lost. Tell God how cold your heart is on this matter and confess it. Ask for revival. Second, according to 1 Timothy 2 verse 2, we should pray for our government officials in that we should pray for those in government who don't know Christ. And while we're at it, we should pray for our country, pray for a turning to Christ in this nation, plead with God for this, to be the person who will never let God alone on this. You know, third, we should pray for the salvation of the people we work with and our neighbors, our friends and relatives. So while we're praying for our nation, make it personal for the people you know who live in this nation. And fourth, we should pray both that God gives us opportunities to share the gospel, and we should also pray that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see who is right now needing to hear and wanting to hear. Pray for a sensitive heart. You might pray, come Holy Spirit, help me to see those whom you have already prepared for this moment. May I be used as your ambassador to those whom you have made ready. I actually think a prayer saturatedness, well, it's not a preamble to evangelism. It's already a part of evangelism. Let me illustrate that. See, I'm overwhelmed at all those many years while I was serving as a pastor, but many people told me they were praying for me. See, I'm grateful for those people. I'm grateful beyond words. But now are you aware of how many people, and can I put it personally, how many people in our nation have never had a single Christian praying for them ever? Do you feel condemned? I do. Okay, we can all pray with compassion for the lost and mention the lost by name. What else? Well, stay tuned. I think there are a number of other things that we can do. Hey, we wanted you to know that there's still time to order our beautiful limited edition Back to the Bible Canada 2021 Growing in Faith Scripture Calendar. It provides you with words of encouragement, beautiful pictures of creation, and a uniquely designed Bible reading plan by Dr. Neufeld, encouraging all of us to open up our Bibles. Use your calendar as a daily reminder to practice the discipline of reading God's Word. This resource is filled with encouragement, and it's yours for free. There are limited quantities of this free calendar, so reach out today to ensure you get your copy of our 2021 Growing in Faith Scripture Calendar. To request your copy today and perhaps give a financial gift to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. The second thing we can do is initiate relationships with non-believers. And that's the genius of the book of Acts. It's the story of one encounter after another with someone who either hasn't heard or has not yet believed. In contrast, some Christians in our nation have no friendships with anyone outside of their faith. 
And some in our country have not one single Christian friend. Oh yeah, we work with unbelievers. We live next to unbelievers. We take our kids to sporting events with unbelievers all around us. But we have never taken a work colleague for coffee or home for dinner or gone out somewhere with them. We've shown no interest in their lives at all. And if we shared the gospel with them tomorrow, it would only be because we were guilted into it and they would know that. What would it take for us as believers to actually start liking people enough to invest our lives into them? So we need to make a deliberate attempt to make friendship networks with unbelievers. Number three, we need to ask people to tell us their spiritual journey. See, I'm countlessly amazed at how often a non-Christian will tell me he or she prays on occasion. I mean, why wouldn't I want to know about that? You know, there are a lot of people who have some kind of church in their background. Why wouldn't I want to know about that? I know there are a lot of people who wonder what the purpose of life is. And every once in a while, I'll hear someone tell me that they think everything happens for a reason, and that's fascinating. I mean, how did they come to that conclusion, and how do they think it actually works, or what causes that principle to work? Clearly, while some scientists are telling them everything's random, they don't agree. How did that happen? And to those who say that someone upstairs is looking out for me, ask them, do you ever wonder who that someone might be? What conclusions have they come to? And for those who complain about corruption in government or somewhere else, would it be improper to ask them, what things really bother them, and then tell them that you believe that there is such a thing called sin and ask, is that how you describe it or would you use different words? You'll end up in an amazing conversation if you look for spiritual themes, they're everywhere. In fact, if we genuinely are curious about people, what they believe, what they value, what they hate, the wounds they bear, the disappointments that won't let go of them, and what they long for with all their hearts, it's amazing what people will tell you. Because so much of our society simply shouts, nobody cares. And it's remarkable when we come to people who genuinely care. So one, pray. Two, initiate relationships. Three, ask spiritual questions. And four, ask if you can share your spiritual journey with someone. You know, in Christian circles, we call this our testimony. I think there's great value for Christians to share their testimony with fellow believers. I find it amazing to discover how fellow believers came to know Christ. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, it might be good for you to to begin a little exercise, you know, maybe in your Bible study. Tell people what God has done for you in this last year. Uh, You should do this, you know, every year. Now, if you are in a relationship with a non-Christian and you've asked to hear that person's story, well, it's entirely appropriate for you to share your story. And here's what I've found. Most people never ask me the spiritual questions I ask them. And I don't know why, but they never do. So I actually have to step in. I have to say, you know, I find your journey fascinating. And I'd like the opportunity to tell you my story. Could I do that? There's a little exercise that all Christians can learn. You ought to be able to share your testimony or your personal encounter you've had with Christ in about five minutes. You can learn and practice that, and in so doing, you'll share the most powerful thing your non-Christian friend will ever hear. The God of heaven is personal, and he's life-transforming. We've been talking about how to become involved in personal evangelism. So we've stressed the importance of prayer, building relationships, asking to hear the spiritual journey of others, and also being prepared to share our own testimony with unbelievers. 
but we have to go further. Number five, share the gospel. At some point in time, believers must share the gospel with their non-Christian friends. God tells us to do it. He encourages us to do it. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, we are ambassadors for Christ, and each of us must learn to share the gospel. And there are so many helpful tools out there that will increase the effectiveness in gospel presentations. This will include helping people to understand what God says about us, that he created us, that we're made in his image, that we're sinful and alienated from God, that our sins have created a breach between ourselves and God, and in consequence, everything's broken. Nothing works the way it should. We must include the truth that Jesus is God's only son, that he came to earth to die for our sins. He's the answer to the sin question. We must stress the need to repent of our sins, believe that Jesus' death is sufficient to forgive us, and that we, by an act of faith, can surrender our lives into God's hands. See, one more thing. We should be able to show our friends that the Bible actually says something about each of these issues. We should have committed those Bible presentations to memory along with Bible quotations. If you don't have training program in your church on this matter, go where someone will train you. And that leads to the next phase. Invite others to come to know Christ. Here's a little known truth. We should ask our friends if they'd like to repent of their sins and surrender their lives into Christ's loving arms. Ask the question. Don't be afraid. Not long ago, I was sharing the faith with a young man who had come from an atheist home. We'd been talking about the gospel for several hours, and at one point in time, I said something like this. Jack, I I don't want to take advantage of you, but I have an inner sense, which I think it's from the Holy Spirit. See, because I'm sensing that you just might be prepared to surrender your life into the hands of Jesus. And Jack, if I'm out of order in saying that, you know, please be honest enough to tell me. And then there was a long pause in the room, and then he said, I feel like a fire has started to burn inside me. And I was so hoping you might say something like that. Is it possible for me to do that now? And that's the beauty of evangelism. In the end, you'll get the sense that what's happening is so much greater than your conversation. You know, I've often been amazed at Paul's words when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And I'm overwhelmed at the sheer power of the gospel. I'm amazed how what started with a conversation about Jesus ended up being the center point of a changed life. There's so much more. I remember the first time I heard someone whom I led to Christ tell me that they had just led someone else to Christ. And at that time, I wondered about the great ramifications of one act of evangelism. You know, there's so much more I want to share about evangelism, but let me say this. Seventh, remember never to do it alone. Invite your friend to a woman's meeting or a men's meeting. If your church has a Christmas or Easter extravaganza, invite them to come. Maybe there's a golf tournament. Go for coffee afterward. Invite them to Sunday morning worship. Introduce him or her to your friends at church. Allow natural friendships to flow as a result. And once your friend comes to church, talk about things like baptism and what communion means and Bible studies and make sure you pray with them. Imagine the joy of someone who's never heard anyone ever pray for them actually do it for the first time. There's so much you can do if you open your heart to the endless possibilities of saying, I will tell. So we can determine to tell. But if we don't determine to tell, we'll never tell. We have to make our lives about declaring the gospel. 
We need to tell God how badly we failed at this and tell him the only reason that we failed is we've had a hard heart. And here's my dream. If every Christian won one person to Christ in a decade, it would be the greatest advancement of the gospel in the history of this nation. But here's the sad truth. Many Christians even go through a lifetime and have never shared the gospel with one single person. See, we need to open our eyes. So Jesus said, the fields are white unto harvest. Believe that the Holy Spirit is opening doors. Of course not everyone is open. And of course, there are people who hate the gospel. But you don't have to argue with them. You don't even have to engage in that because it probably won't lead anywhere. But you need to move beyond those who are resistant and begin to approach those who are open because those who are open are far greater than you had ever imagined. And so we need to repent of our complacency and we need to come back to Romans chapter 10, verse 15. Do you remember that passage? It's wonderful. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. And when you begin to share the gospel, please understand something. God thinks your feet are beautiful. How wonderful is that? Thanks so much, John. Let me ask you this. What would you suggest to those who would say their experiences is people today just aren't open to the gospel? Yeah, I mean, I think um, there are, of course, a number of people who are just resistant to the gospel. And I think we want to continue to show friendship and love towards them, but recognize that uh, they are now at a place where, you know, it's very difficult to make that that communication. However, I think if we would just open our eyes and to hear the spiritual language that people regularly use uh, and then uh, begin to, to move into their own experience and, you know, and talk about, you know, their own spiritual experiences, we're going to find people are far more open to the gospel than we had ever thought. So maybe we shouldn't start by telling them everything they've done wrong, but listening uh, to their heart cry, their need for purpose, and their need for God. And we need to be ready to provide an answer when that happens as well. So uh, my experience has been, if you only look around, you'll find more people interested than you ever thought before. So I would say, look, start by prayer. Say, Lord, open my heart. Help me to see who is open to your word. And then direct me, Lord, so that I might be with them. Thanks again, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, I Will Tell, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. Laugh Again, a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, has had a profound impact on so many lives. Well, this fall you can embark on an exciting and encouraging journey as Laugh Again presents our new 31 Days of Hope and Humor devotional and it's available right now. I know we can all use a reminder of the hope we have in Jesus, along with the words of encouragement that will inspire a smile on your face. Each of us has experienced the unexpected turns of life, perhaps in these last months more than most. Yet, even when life is most challenging, we're assured that our relationship with Christ will sustain us, offer us joy and assurance. So take a moment and request your free copy of Laugh Again's 31 Days of Hope and Humor devotional at backtothebible.ca, laughagain.ca, or give us a call at 1-800-888-4673.
663-2425.